everyone, and welcome to episode five of Evangel again, the Neon Genesis Evangelion rewatch podcast. I am Mike Kelly. And I'm April Lynn Cowett. Today we're going to be talking about episodes 14 through 16. Yeah, so it's been a little bit since our last episode. Uh, what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, yeah, not not a whole lot. Uh, I went and got up and used the bathroom, and then I came and sat back down, and now we're recording again. Yeah, uh, we're banking this just for future travel plans and stuff like this. <laughs> uh, so sorry to pull back the illusion a little bit, but... Um, yeah, uh, so let's just get right into it, because I think there's going to be a lot to cover in these episodes, because these are, this is where Eva becomes Evangelion. Like, mm-hmm. this is where... Those first 13 episodes, psh. I mean, that was the setup. Like, that's like the, uh, that's paying your dues before you can, uh, paying your admission, really. But yeah, so we start with episode uh, 14, which is Seely the Seed of the Soul. Try saying that uh, five times fast. Uh, and Weaving a Story. Um... So the first half of this episode is just straight up a clip show, um, kind of kind of a yeah, anime convention. It's the the obligatory recap. You know, we've now gone through thirteen episodes. Time to recap everything that happened in the first thirteen. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of like new uh, uh, voiceover or something like that. Like you know, it's almost like a report. We learn that the angels actually have names. Yeah, we do. Uh, I actually looked up a few of these names, and they are actual names of angels. Mm-hmm. Um, they are I, in the uh, the Christian angelography, which that was not anything I ever really studied. So I don't even know where that comes from because it's not. Some of it is, I think, some of it's like Book of Tobit, which is apocrypha, and some of it is like Catholic tradition. Um, okay, that it's makes very sense. strange. It's very strange. You Catholics. Yeah, we we kind of have our our weird little quirks here. Um, <laughs> it, we're going to get into much weirder stuff though, as we get into further imagery in these things. Yeah. But, so uh, I really appreciated the way that this recap episode, quote unquote, it wasn't boring the yeah. way a lot of recap episodes are because, well, first of all, it wasn't the whole episode, mm-hmm. but also it did throw some extra perspective on what's happened in the previous episodes. I mean, it's framed as Gendo reporting to Seely, um, the the secret council that runs the world, I guess. And it shows like, you know, he's reporting what the angels have done, but he's also like not reporting about some other stuff that has happened that we know happened. Such Uh, as do, do, do angel episode 11 uh, or angel, the 11th angel, the 11th angel. Yeah. The one in the previous episode In, in previous episode 13. Uh, so yeah, like Gendo clearly has his own agenda here. That's how you make a clip show worthwhile, uh, is you kind of recast the previous episodes in a new light while recapping them, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciated. Um, but yeah, we get through that. Um, and then, uh, after the, the mid episode break, we come back to, so it's kind of a visual poem that we see. Mm. Uh, and it's being spoken by Ray. This has actually been colloquially uh, termed Ray's poem uh, over the years uh, because it is kind of unlike anything we've seen before. Like thematically, like it's not focusing on characters. It is this, think of it almost like a music video uh, of Ray reciting this poem. I, I mean, I can't speak to the, the rhyme scheme or the, or the, the scansion of it, I guess, in Japanese. But it is very, very contemplative, philosophical, 
this is actually something I just absolutely loved. This moment of Ray's interior life and what she ponders. And like she is a cipher for a while. She started opening up previously in an episode or two uh, in the last arc. But this is the stuff she thinks and doesn't express. I I just want to read this thing because I am I am just I love this thing so much. Okay. Uh, so it goes like this. And honestly, actually, probably look it up on YouTube because my voice will not do it any justice. Yeah, but see if see if you can do Ray's voice. No, while you do I am it. not going to do that. <laughs> uh, and also read it in Japanese. Oh God, if only, if only. Um all right. So here's Ray's poem. Mountain. Heavy mountains. Things that change over time. Sky. Blue sky. What your eyes can't see. What your eyes can see. Sun. A unique object. Water. Something comforting. Commander Akari. Flowers. So many of the same and so many unneeded. Sky. Red, red sky. The color red. I hate the color red. Water flowing. Blood. The smell of blood. A woman who never bleeds. Man made from red soil. Man made from man woman. City. A human creation. Eva. A human creation. What is a human? A creation of God? Is man a human creation? The things I possess are a life and a soul. I am a vessel for a soul. Entry plug. Throne for a soul. Who is this? This is me. Who am I? What am I? What am I? What am I? What am I? I am myself. This object is me. This is the me that can be seen, yet I feel as though I am not myself. Very strange. I feel as if my body is melting. I can no longer see myself. My shape is fading. I feel the presence of someone who is not me. Is someone there beyond this? Ikari? I know this person. Major Katsuragi. Dr. Akagi. Everyone. Classmates. The pilot of Unit 02. Commander Akari? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? That's my moment for this episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I love this 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 particular thing. It is these abstract thoughts, but with a certain through line of uh, rationalization to uh, not rationalization. That's the wrong way to put it, but like like one follows from the other. Like there's mm-hmm. each line is connected to the last, and you end up very different. You know, you start from like talking about nature to talking about like an idea of self. It's just so remarkable to me. So before I get too into it, though, uh, uh, April Lynn, what was your uh, view of this particular poem? So as we talked about a little bit before we started recording, I don't have a lot to say about this. Mm. Um, And I'm sure that I'll have more than I thought I did. Um, But I just kind of took it as one whole unit of this is what Ray is conscious of, what she's contemplating while she is sitting in not her Eva unit. She's Mm. in Shinji's Eva unit. They're doing uh, synchronization tests. And as she comments at the end of it, it smells like Shinji. So kind of where 
it goes in the end, it kind of, it to me reads like she is becoming more conscious of the fact that it reminds her of Shinji as it mm. goes. Um, Almost like she's but, waking a bit. Right. Yeah. Like she was slumbering and now she's waking up, mm-hmm. which may, you know, she may have been sleeping in there or in a trance like state while they're doing their testing. Not sure. Yeah. I, I didn't dislike it. I, you yeah. know, I didn't sit there going, what is this crap? <laughs> um, but I took it more as an overall impression of her questioning her existence than I did trying to analyze it line by line. Yeah. And to be fair, like you could analyze it line by line. We're not going to much as I would want to, because like each line of this is a thought that Ray has. And we've been privy to so few of her thoughts Mm -hmm. that it just leads to endless speculation about what it is. And, like, I could go in-depth of, like, why does she start with the mountains? Like, you know, I, I'm not going to. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> it is the first time that we've seen someone really begin. Like, we've seen flashbacks. We've seen memories. But we've never seen the interior life of anybody. And right. this is about as distilled as, and, as you can get about it. I, I So, I guess just in broad themes of, of, like, what I loved about this poem is it kind of goes all around the point before getting to it. So she, uh, Ray starts out by talking about, uh, nature, mountain, sky, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. things and like, like their place in the world. And then it gets to, uh, it starts basically into a biblical illusion, uh, man made from red soil, which is the Genesis myth. Um, mm-hmm. this is, you know, she's pondering the, the, beginnings of man or what makes a man, which then gets her into like, then what, what is man a human creation? Uh, like, because men then beget more, I'm using men, not in the gendered way, the human aspect of things. Yes. Like humans beget more humans. So then are you still made from God? And she's thinking of all of this in the sense of like, where, where am I? Like, what, what is my role in this? Am I created of man? Am I created of God? Mm-hmm. And she starts talking explicitly about the throne for a soul, which is Mm -hmm. uh, more or less what the title of the episode is. Like this gets into what we were talking about previously with regard to the Evangelions. She calls the entry plug, the throne for a soul. She believes she possesses a soul and she believes that she is providing a soul to the Evangelion. Mm hmm another work of humans, another creation of humans, just as men are creations of humans. And she's talking about it in the sense of like, then what am I? Am I a vessel? Like she clearly doesn't, we've known this for a while that she doesn't really value her own existence in mm-hmm. a while. Like she, she views herself as a tool. She views herself as a means to an end, but there have been little cracks along the way. Um, when she, you know, met the other pilots and, and kind of uh, got a little bit away from the Evangelions. And now she is trying to think about who she is. Mm-hmm. Now she is trying to understand what she is. And the conclusion that she gets to, and as much as it is a conclusion, is that basically she basically falls down like a hole of despair. Like, uh, like she doesn't know who she is, but she does know that others know her. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. she has friends. There are other rays that exist in the minds of people. And she starts off straight up talking about Shinji, uh, the first name she says. It's a little bit like, and again, when she wakes up, the first thing she says is about Shinji. It smells like Shinji in here. Mm-hmm. She is beginning to understand what it is to me to be a person that has connection. This is the real like crux of uh, like a lot of not crux, but like one of the main themes of Evangelion is that theme of connection. Mm-hmm. She is a connection to an Evangelion uh, as a soul for the Evangelion, but other parts of her are like are still out there and connected to others. Mm-hmm. And it's, said in this very roundabout way uh and i just i just fucking love this poem <laughs> it's simple it's it's very like the words that are used it's like these big flowery prose it is just questioning mm-hmm. thoughts sensations because maybe that's all ray knows how to express herself with well also i don't think that this is supposed to be taken as a poem that she's written mm. this is her thought process and yeah you know when you are in a deeply, not even contemplative, but almost dreamlike trance state, you're not thinking in terms of loquacious speech. You're thinking in terms of images. And so the language that's used here is reflective of that, that it's what's going through Ray's head is not, you know, deeply pondering the mysteries of the universe. She's contemplating just simple questions who am i but and i mean what Sorry. she's contemplating big questions with simple language right yeah but she's not philoso- philosophizing about them she's not yeah. sitting there having an inner conversation with herself the way you would you know, she's not conscious mm. entirely while this is happening this is not her actively thinking about these things this is her drifting off while she's inside a plug suit in a not fully conscious. This is more dream language than anything, mm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. She may not be actively dreaming, um, but it's definitely a more dreamy sort of thing than intellectual. And, and that's part of the reason I like this as a tonal shift, because we, we deal with, we've dealt with a lot of like big action scenes over the past couple of episodes and a lot of big character moments. Mm-hmm. And these are just simple statements yes. uh, arranged in such a way in this dreamlike kind of quality. And it's, it's so different. Uh, <laughs> I, I really am. I'm, I'm not quite speechless, but I really just like admire the beauty of this, this mm-hmm. uh, simplicity of it. But it, another aspect of it that I actually kind of felt coming through, not, not so much in the words, but in the delivery there is an edge of fear in this. Like mm-hmm. there is like she's pondering her existence. And like, I think anybody who would, you know, take two seconds to, you know, contemplate their existence probably fears feels a shade of this, but she's examining it in the point of view of like, you know, as something that can be discarded as something that is, that had no value. So like, mm-hmm. she believes she has a soul, but at the same time, like what is what is the value of that if she is just a tool? Like, mm-hmm. and I think this is her beginning to question her role, and mm-hmm. that's very unlike the Ray we were first introduced to. And mm-hmm. uh, 
it's a, just a very small shift, but I think it's probably a crucial one for Ray. Um, one thing that I have been thinking about as you're talking, um, and also as I watch this episode, is that this it's almost an existential, not quite crisis, but she's definitely having existential thoughts. Yeah. And she, this is happening while she's inside an EVA unit that's not hers. Yes. So we've talked about how in the past, this idea of blurring the lines between who identity, you know, mm. uh, when the children are piling the EVAs, they often are gripping their hands as a reminder, like when they're in these EVA units, they are one and the same. Mm. Um, they're identifying very strongly with that. It's not just piloting a robot the one way one would pi- drive a car. Yeah, yeah. While she is inside, in a lot of ways, a body that's not her own, mm. um, or at serving as a soul occupying a body that's not the one it's normally in, that might be part of the reason for the existential crisis is there. there is literally a, an identity crisis happening by the fact that Ray is not where she normally would be, and the smell isn't the smell of her own. It's, mm. it's Shinji's smell. Yeah, And we know just biologically that the sense of smell is the one that is linked to memory yep. more strongly than any other one. So I think that all plays in very nicely with the fact that she's having these thoughts in an unfamiliar, frightening place where her ver- identity is in question. Yeah. She is literally connected to another body, um, another person, another being of some sort and um that could be spurring this like, yeah and we still don't know yeah where what the um eva units how they're influencing the children like yeah. do they have thoughts and personalities and intention of their own you know we surely we've seen them respond to protect the children um particularly mm-hmm. that moment where the eva unit protects shinji we've seen it act on its own impulses even when it has no power um so we know that they're more than just machines and we know that they're just machines with biological components that they have some sort of agency Mm -hmm. so how much of that actually and and while they're doing their tests they're doing tests i don't know if it's in this episode or next or one of the previous episodes they were doing tests for um Mental toxicity. Mm. I think um, it's one of the upcoming ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's something psychological going on while they're piloting these mm. robot creatures. I mean, the interesting thing to me is like everything you said, like I, I wholly agree with. The only thing is that why is this happening in Eva 01 as opposed to Eva 00? Like Ray's been in an Evangelion before. And if the Evangelions are alive and have their own kind of personality or i'm not quite sure what to put it like why is she only experiencing this now and not in unit zero zero well one we don't know that she hasn't before this is only the first glimpse we've gotten of her internal landscape but the other thing is that you know eva unit 01 is her unit her the extension of her body Mm. right now you mean not zero one yeah did i say zero one sorry yeah you did 
Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, she's inside Shinji's mm. robot. Um, so, and, you know, technically, yes, they can reprogram them to synchronize who- with whoever they want. But especially where she's talking about the entry plug is the seat of the soul. Yeah. If they are serving as the souls of these beasts, her soul is in a different body. Which, yeah, could definitely be pushing this along in a lot of ways. I, I, I struggle a little bit with the concept of the soul and how, not necessarily like, you know, in general, but like, how does Ray conceive of a soul here? And right. I mean, but clearly there is some, there is some part of a a living being that she thinks a soul is mm-hmm. and that that part is in a now another thing. So what does that feel like? Right. And then and not even that, but like, who is she? Is she the body? Is she the soul? Is she both? Is she mm-hmm. neither? Like, yeah, I, that's why I love this. Like, it, it doesn't necessarily, she's not giving answers to these questions. Right. But the fact that she is asking them finally, this makes Ray less of a cipher. This makes Ray more of a, person in a way uh that mm-hmm. kind of internal questioning uh and that's that's why i love this thing yeah i mean i could certainly go through more of this uh line by line but i the only thing that i i, I want to to note in this poem as well is that she talks about shinji before she talks about gendo she talks about mm-hmm. everybody before she talks about gendo even asuka who she just refers to as the pilot of unit 02 because doesn't like Asuka and I can't blame her. Yeah, I, I um, loved that actually. Yeah. I noticed that too. Uh, <laughs> but she still does care. And but all of the people she recognizes that flash into her mind first, they all come before Gendo. And Gendo's face doesn't even flash in her mind. Uh she just refers to him at the end. Mm. Which um doesn't she refer to Commander Ikari earlier on? Yeah, in, in reference to something else. Oh, uh, like, when she's saying something comforting. Yes, uh, but that is, but that's a question, like something comforting Commander Akari, question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so like she's, again, Gendo's fallen down a little bit. Uh, and I think that uh, we're going to see that a little bit uh, in some later episodes about what Ray thinks about Gendo. Mm-hmm. The fact that she is more connected now to her colleagues, I guess for lack of a better term, is, is a big turnabout from the Ray we knew. Right. So aside from the poem, I mean, that is like the, the big part of this, but like the rest mm-hmm. of it is surrounded by this plot stuff. Uh, and I know you mentioned last <laughs> week that you wanted to like dive more into that. So what did you think of all this plot stuff? Plot stuff. I mean, what else can you say? Um, <laughs> no, that's definitely what it is. Yeah. It is definitely plot stuff. Um, and honestly, so the one thing that I wanted to talk about, which I don't know if it'll be a long discussion, Mm. But this, um, I'm trying to remember what it was. We were talking about, oh, this is being the first angel that wasn't killed by the Evangelion. Yeah. In the previous episode. Yeah. Yes. In the previous episode. That's what I meant. Um, And so now we're talking about doing this recap. And I just had this recollection that this also is the angel that Celie is upset about. It's not mm. clear whether they're they say that they're troubled. Yeah. They don't say exactly what they're troubled about, but they are clearly troubled about the fact that an angel infiltrated nerve headquarters. Yep. 
Um, and Gendo denies it, and they're not dumb. They know that it happened, and he tries to say, there's no record of it. Go look at the Magi blogs. Mm. And they're like, yeah, whatever. You're great at covering things up. We know yeah. you. They're, they're not stupid, but they're willing to let it go because everything else... I Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they let it go so easily, but they do. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to me that the one angel that wasn't destroyed by or the one angel that wasn't destroyed by Eva's was the also the one that hmm. infiltrated that might be coincidence that there might not be any quin- uh, actual connection there actually you made me think that like it's it's the first uh, angel that's not killed by an Eva and that's also the one that Gendo keeps from Seely because he still wants Seely to believe that the Evangelions are the key and mm-hmm. if they learn that they found a different way to defeat the angels uh, or types of angels, like it's not just the Evangelions, mm-hmm. maybe he wants to keep that information close to the chest. Maybe. Um, so that was just a connection that I'd made and wanted to bring up. Mm. Uh, but other than that, this, the remainder of this just had, I just had way more questions than I had anything else. Um, yeah. Like, they talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls yep. and the prophecy. And well, we know we know that the actual Dead Sea Scrolls are not full of prophecy. Nope. <laughs> or it's, any more prophecy than the Bible already contains. That's fair, yeah. I mean, um, I mean this this show was made before most of the contents of the Dead Sea Scrolls were made public. So okay. they still had this aura of mystery, but yeah. Okay, so that's a piece of context that I didn't think to look up. Um, yeah. That's good to know. So this idea that the Dead Sea Scrolls are this mystical document that somehow contains prophecies um, mm. and that they are now fulfilling them. Mm. Um, you know, they make reference to everything is going according to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, that's interesting. Really don't know what to make of that. They complain that uh, not only do they say, you know, you let, an, an angel get into your headquarters they say this is too soon yeah what do they mean by that yeah they clearly it's not just that it got in but it's too soon for it to have gotten in so there's something there's some nefarious plan involving the angels that we're not privy to yet yeah. um and you know we we having seen this before we know a little bit about that but mm. as far as the show goes we don't know yet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, um, also with, with uh, Seely saying like, yeah, it's too soon. It's too soon. It puts into mind that like they have a end point in mind. Like they mm-hmm. have a plan in mind that right. like everything is based on the timing. Uh, so they're not just doing this out of, this is not pure response. There is right. a, there is a goal here. Mm-hmm. And, and then just a lot of other questions. Like I don't understand what the dummy plug system is. Yeah. I don't understand why, Ritsuko's subordinate is so against it. You know, there's something mm. that she thinks that there's either at least morally wrong, either morally wrong with it or just a bad idea for some reason. Yeah. Um, and this is really the first time that we've seen anyone questioning Ritsuko's judgment. Yeah. Misato is angry at Ritsuko for allowing the, uh, the dummy or the, the, uh, artificial body to get mm-hmm. out of control and for the damage to the Eva unit, which is out of character for Masato. Yeah. What is this? Some, and this is before 
you know, in a few episodes where Masato actually gets reason to be doubting people's, uh, what she's being told. Yeah. So I'm not entirely clear on why Masato is mad. I mean, I think she, she intuits that like some stuff is being kept from her. Certainly. Um, mm-hmm. She will find out a little bit more as we go through these episodes. You're beginning to see the seams a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in, in this grand plan. There's actually a moment that I, I had, I had forgotten about. Um, there's uh there's a moment where Gendo is in his office and he's there with uh uh Fiyutsuki, um second in command dude deputy commander deputy commander thank you the deputy commander is playing shogi he is playing uh it's a japanese board game kind of like chess ish mm-hmm. uh for lack of a better descriptor but he's playing it and that's a that's a game that revolves around strategy about planning and all that kind of stuff but Gendo's not playing I had I couldn't help but think of that as a metaphor for what's going on. The Gendo mm-hmm. is full mm-hmm. speed ahead. He is like he has his plan. Damn the torpedoes! He's not going to tell Sealy shit, and he's going to ignore those plans, all that strategy. He's going to get what he wants, mm-hmm. whatever the hell it is. And nervous falling in line behind him because he is that force of personality. But he's pissing off Sealy. He's pissing off uh, other powers that exist out there. Yeah, well, clearly his understanding of the plan and their understanding of the plan are very different. Yeah. Uh, I think they explicitly say that at one point. Who does? Gendo, I think at one point is like, you know, uh, you know, they think we're, I think, I thought I saw something like they both, they they think we're going towards the same place, but we're not. He might. I could be mistaken. Regardless, that's. Yeah clearly the case yeah true true um because he convinces them time and time again things are everything's fine things are going according to plan whereas from their perspective things are not going according to plan mm. uh they there is reason to be cautious and concerned and he is not concerned at all any of these things that look like hiccups in the system he says this changes nothing yeah whether that's bravado and false confidence or if he actually thinks things are going according to his plan regardless remains to be seen but and we don't know what that plan is yet we get a little glimpse like at the end where he actually call he calls it project adam and like that seems to be different from what Celie's thinking of and it involves presumably adam uh who we'll learn a little bit more about and uh actually the last shot of the uh of the episode is ray in unit 00 with the spear of Longinus, mm-hmm. which that's the first time I've heard of that. I mean, in this series, like the spear of Longinus is a, another religious alleg- uh, a reference mm-hmm. that is the spear that uh, appears to Jesus' side of the crucifixion, uh, mm-hmm. Roman soldier spear, Roman soldier named Longinus actually. But yeah, it just looks like this dual pronged fork uh, mm-hmm. thing, spear thing. And, Clearly, Ray's brought in on the plan, at least to some degree now, because uh, this is an important part of it. So I made another interesting connection to that. The very first, so I guess the third angel, the mm. first one that Nerve fights when he's attacking Shinji's unit and pierces his skull with mm. the spear of light, basically. Yeah. Um and Shinji blood gushes forth. It mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of that scene of the spear pierc- piercing Christ's side. 
Yeah. And blood and water pouring forth. Yeah. They're making use of that imagery and trying and drawing connections. But in that sense, is the, is Shinji a sacrifice, a Christ figure, or is the Eva like? I'm, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, clearly to some degree, it is Shinji because that whole episode he reacts very badly to. It's like a he has like a psychological break from it. But mm-hmm. yeah, the the imagery again, it's not quite incidental at this point, but it is also not quite. Maybe we just don't have the full picture yet of what this means. Um, so, uh, anything else in this episode? Uh, no. That you want? Yeah. No. Like I, mean, I said, I didn't have a lot of things to say. I liked the episode a lot. Um, but it wasn't necessarily one that shed a whole lot of, didn't give a whole lot of dialogue topics. Yeah. I, I mean, partially because it's half a clip show and the other half is like very, a good chunk of it was eaten up by Ray's poem and, uh, a lot of inscrutable proper nouns being used. So I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So uh, episode 15, this is lies and silence or those women longed for the touch of others lips and thus invited their kisses. That uh, is the longest title ever. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, that's probably a reference to something, but I don't know it uh, again. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I searched for it and again just found this episode, so I, I am not a hundred percent certain what it ref- refers to. But before we get into the kissing part, um, <laughs> there's this is really uh, the, one of the things I want to talk about in this episode, and I think this is kind of somewhat what I think a lot of people have been looking forward to is Shinji and Gendo uh, having a father son moment. Mm. This is uh, just for context. This happens. Um, I guess in a graveyard, although they mentioned that there's no bodies there, that uh, that is in front of uh, Shinji's mom's grave, Yui Akari. And Shinji's laying flowers down it, and, and Gendo is there as well. And it's the I think it's the anniversary of her death? Yes. Uh, which was at some point after Second Impact, I noticed. Uh, so she didn't die during Second Impact. But there are things that are alluded to that, like, the strained relationship that they had and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of great father son moments in this. Like they're actually having a conversation as stilted as it may be, but there is something that like, they're very awkward talking to each other. Gendo doesn't really know how to be a dad. Shinji doesn't really know, you know what his dad is like, but, uh, but they're trying, which is they are trying. a huge difference from the last time they had, tried to have a conversation mm. uh, when Shinji called his father saying, Hey, uh, the school's having this future plans meeting and Gendo just shuts him down. He says, commander Katsuragi is supposed to be dealing with all this. Yeah. And then he is in the process of telling the operator, I think telling the operator to not put these kind of calls through to him. Yeah. Um, he just wants nothing about it. So the fact that now a few episodes later, He's actually talking to Shinji and sharing advice, whether or not it's good advice is a different matter, but he's trying to connect to some degree. It's kind of a big deal. I mean, and I think it's the moderating force of uh, Yui, uh, his Mm -hmm. wife, because I think that was that was a person that I think he he truly cared about. And like he mentions, he's come here every year since she died. Like they're, you know. 
by definition is parts of his wife in Shinji. And right. you know, they were a family at some point. And now they are not, but like this is a close facsimile to it because they're all there again, sort mm-hmm. of. This is when I hated Gendo the least, I guess, out of any <laughs> of all these episodes. Because as awkward as it is, he is trying and he does leave rather abruptly. But with I, Ray you know. in the the helicopter or whatever it is, too. Was was she actually because it was like a very quick shot. I thought it was almost yeah. like a hallucination that no, Shinji she had. Would, uh, she didn't vanish. So I think she was sitting there. Oh, Unlike I, the last time that he hallucinated her and she vanished. She yeah, was, I'm pretty sure she was actually sitting there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, either way, Shinji, uh, excuse me, Gendo is going back to business and Ray is part of that, as we saw in the last scene of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one quote that I want to bring out of that whole co- that talk that I really, really, I, I just had to highlight it because it really defines a lot of what's going on, I think, between Shinji and, and Gendo. And Gendo says something that uh, there was a lesson that Yui taught him. Shinji mentions that it's like, I can't remember her face. You know, I'm forgetting what she looked like. And Gendo says something that is like, uh, she told me once that forgetting is what lets people go on living. Mm-hmm. But there are some things we must never forget. You know, that is the lesson she taught me. And it just jumped out at me. Gendo comes back here every year. He's not forgetting. He's trying actively to remember her. Mm-hmm. Shinji has forgotten her. And so he has gone on living. I wonder if Gendo took the wrong lesson from Yui's quote. You know, some things that should not be forgotten, but, you know, maybe she wasn't part of that. Like, go on and live your life. If you don't forget about me, you will be stopped. Like, you know, you know, your development will kind of be stopped at this point. Hmm. And I, I mean, I know as like, you know, you know, we're human. We've all had um, loss in our life. The thing that at least always helps me is that, like, you know, you go on. Like, you go, like, that is what we do. Right. Um, even after you lose somebody. And, you know, and, you know, you're not making new memories with that person. So, yeah, they kind of fade away a little bit. But but that's what it is to be human. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's that's the point. And I think Gendo took the wrong lesson. He, he applied the wrong part of that to Yui. And Shinji, weirdly, is the, the better adjusted one here. Because he is trying to process that grief. Hmm. That's an interesting theory. Yeah. yeah. Gendo, in a lot of ways, is very... He doesn't grow anymore. Like, he has a plan. He is executing that plan. He will do no deviations from the plan. Uh, and that's about it. Shinji is trying his best to move around and find his place. Yeah, I, I just like that quote because it really kind of brought their two... The difference between the two into stark contrast. So, okay, so the next thing that was really big starting in this episode, actually starting at the end of last episode, um, is Adam and the Human Instrumentality Project. Yeah. So we don't really know much about what that means yet, and Mm -hmm. we don't know a lot about who or what Adam is yet, um, Mm -hmm. and how it slash he plays into this whole thing. But we have started to see that there are things that are hidden, that things mm. are not all that they seem with nerve. And at the end of this episode, Misato also finds out that things mm. are not all they seem. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> so I know we're jumping around a little bit here. We haven't discussed a main bulk of this episode. Um, 
but it definitely ties into things that we've seen in previous episodes. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what we know about Adam and the human yeah, instrumentality. Yeah, I mean, let's project. just dive into it, I think. We know now that Adam was the first angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, who is, not necessarily the first human, or he might have been both. I don't know. Right. And that's that's what I said, too. We, we've we seen a shot of what Gendo calls Adam, the first human, in an embryonic form mm-hmm. that Kaji brought him. And we've now seen Adam, quote unquote, the first angel, in a dismembered, f- crucified form in the basement yep. of Nerf headquarters. Yep. Um, in what is supposed, you know otherwise supposedly the lcl storage the, room or generation facility generation facility something like yeah, that something like that uh that's a thing yeah that thing <laughs> is uh, and like, it is pierced with the spear of longinus uh which we have just seen ray carrying into that room yeah what do you make of all this i i mean so some pieces click here uh a little bit like so this thing is very much otherworldly. Like, I mean, it looks like, I don't want to say it looks like an angel's because the angels look like damn near everything, but it definitely doesn't look human. I mean, it has a, you know, has hands and a face and stuff like that, but the bottom half of the thing is ripped off and there's what look like legs and arms coming out of it, like smaller ones. So oh, like, I guess I didn't look closely enough. Yeah. It, it's weirdly body horror-ish in a kind of way. And the other thing is that there is a liquid that is going down the the front of the cross, from presumably from a wound in in Adam, and it's this orangish liquid. It's not blood, uh, mm. but it's LCL. Like that mm. is, uh, it's the same color as LCL. I'm assuming it. It's the LCL generation plant. So that's clearly what that is. Interesting. So I didn't make all those connections. Yeah. And so now that brings up the whole point of, so what is LCL? Yeah. And that's creepy. I, I mean, what, so one of the things that, um, that kind of clicked with me is this, uh, in the, one of the very first episodes when Shinji first gets into Evo one and the, uh, the entry plug floods with LCL and they're like, okay, just inhale it. It's fine. Um, do you remember what he says? Oh, yeah. He says it smells like blood. Yeah, exactly. And they keep talking about that, too. Um, mm. So Ray in her poem, talks about very closely about blood around the same time that she starts talking about the entry plugs. Yeah. Is that what we're led to believe, then, is that LCL is somehow angel blood? Do you think that's or, the connection? Or is there a difference between Adam's blood and angel blood? Because some of the other angels that we've seen killed... Like, I guess I don't remember, but I don't remember them having LCL coming out of them. Um, I could be wrong on that one. Yeah, I don't think I don't remember what we've seen. Well, the, the only thing I wanted to say with regard to the LCL is that some of the imagery here is very, very tied to birth and life. Oh, like, absolutely. Like the LCL, like, uh, you know, the LCL and the entry plug, like, you know, it, it smells like blood it's implied that it is some kind of, you know, uh, biological component, but humans are breathing it. Mm-hmm. And the only time in a human's life when you ever breathe liquid is when you're in the womb. Right. Again, smells like blood. And you look at Adam and at the bottom again, like the legs and stuff going out of like human legs and arms and stuff like that. Like it really lends a lot of thought that like, this is really 
like this may actually be the source of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like again, using the symbolism of the of the birth fluid of the embryonic fluid and human parts literally growing out of him. Like, yeah, I know it's gross, (laughs) but like this real, like we've talked a lot about the angels being a dark mirror of humanity. And like, if that's the case, like if, if Adam is actually both the first human and the first angel, they're the same. Right. Which the fuck does that mean? (laughs) I, I don't know, but I was thinking about how, you know, this scene, it seems to be an angel that's been there for a while. Mm. Um, it's fully grown. But then we saw an, an episode after we saw the first time we saw the thing called Adam, we mm. saw an embryonic angel hatch, I guess, for lack of a better term, and grow to full size in moments. Yeah. So it's also entirely possible that that angel, that quote unquote first angel, is the adult grown version of that embryonic atom that Kaji brought to Gendo. Yeah. So it's all very con- confusing. <laughs> I, I mean, which is entirely possible, but that brings up a, a continuity thing. If the LCL comes from Adam and they didn't get Adam until Kaji brought it and then grew it into this thing, where did they get the LCL in the beginning? Did they have another angel? Mm. It's a very, like, I think this thing has been here for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it might be Adam. Like, you know, the Adam that Kaji brought. Uh, I mean, Kaji says it's Adam, and he'd probably know. Well, uh, and Masato says that this is Adam. So is yeah. Ad- are there two different Adams, or is there one? Or is Adam, like, a a a term for, like, a group of angels, like the Adams? Or something like that. Mm, they didn't use. Yeah, they I mean, they used the you know Adam the first angel and Adam the first human. They they never used the term an Adam. I true. I mean, I, they may not even know though. Is the thing right? Um, like yeah. There's, I mean, this answers a few questions, but it raises a whole bunch more. Uh, yeah, uh, what's going on with this thing? I mean. The, I, one of the bigger questions I have is like, why is the lance in it? I that, don't know. That's like, your big question? Well, I mean, uh, among other questions, <laughs> certainly. I mean, none uh, of it makes any sense. We we don't know. We don't have the context for why any of this mm. is a thing. Um, yeah. It does give some clue as to why the angels are attacking Nerve Headquarters. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be that this is what they're getting after, but we mm. don't have no idea why. Yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that is yeah. a whole lot of what the hell is going on. Actually, I just thought of something. Another connection that uh, I actually made a yep. note about and I forgot. Um, when uh, Misato first sees Adam, mm-hmm. she has a very, very quick flashback to the second impact. Mm. Was that Adam as well? Like, was that like... She clearly remembers there was some, you know, it doesn't have the giant wings or anything like that, but like. Yeah. Well, then the other question is, so what was the second angel and what was the first impact? Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Um, Because there are, you know, the first angel that we see being fought is the third angel. So what about the first two? Yeah. If the first one is Adam, second one is Eve, maybe. I don't know. I mean. 
Yeah. And what form does that take? Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Hopefully they tell us soon. I think they'll kind of like tilt at it, but never quite explain it, I think. Kind of par for the course of these weird mind fucky animes. So. I want answers. Uh, I think you're going to be disappointed. I don't think they, I mean, we'll get some, certainly, but like this plot, like again, this is when I first watched it. I'm like, this is what I focused on. Like, what mm-hmm. is going on in this world? But the more I, I look at it and I rewatch it, it's like, it's interesting. Like, I, I kind of want to remember, like, I kind of want to know the motivations behind everybody going on and like, Project mm-hmm. Adam and all this is pro- is obviously part of it, but I want I almost just want to see the human interactions more now. Right, like, like I I just like, yeah, it's interesting, it's fantastical, but I would rather see more moments between the characters of them bouncing off each other. Sure. Luckily for us, there's there's a good couple of moments like that in this episode. Yeah, shall we uh, move on to that? Yeah. Uh, so. Again, as alluded to in the in the title, uh, uh, there's some kissing going on in this episode. <gasps> I know. Who kisses who? Well, so these happen like basically back to back. The first one is something that I think we've been waiting for. It's Misato and Kaji. I certainly uh, have been. Yeah. I, I, when you first saw it, it was kind of like, okay, that's going to happen. But yeah, so this happens like they go to a wedding. Kaji, Misato, and Ritsuko actually is part of it. And it's just, it looks like a normal wedding. They're like doing karaoke. Like <laughs> the, the father of the bride is telling bad jokes. Like it, it is like weirdly like normal, you know, considering we just talked for a while about a giant crucified being in the bottom of a giant base. Like this is just life going on. Well, as life goes on. Yeah. But Masato doesn't know about that yet. That doesn't happen. No, no, no totally. I'm, I'm just saying that like this show contains so many contrasts in terms oh, of what yeah. it covers. Masato is drinking. She's having a good time and it's her, uh, Masato, Masato, uh, Ritsuko and Kaji at the bar. Uh, Masato goes to, I don't know, powder her nose or something like that, leaving them alone. And like they're, uh, Masato, uh, Ritsuko and Kaji just kind of have a little tete-a-tete, like more is being said with the silence than is being said with the words. Like, I think both of them know that like, yeah, this is going to be, this is the time where you're going to have to make your move. Uh, if you're going to do it, I mean, Ritsuko to be fair also then says to Kaji at one point, he's like, you're poking around in places where you shouldn't be kind of warning him a little bit that like, Hey, we're friends, but I'm not on your side with this thing. Cause we had seen Kaji early in the episode, like skulking around at the Marduk Institute. Yeah. And, and her accusing him. So where, so why were you in Kyoto? Yeah. And he says, I wasn't in Kyoto. I got this charm and blah, blah, blah. She's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Don't, don't go, don't go poking too deep. You're not going to like what you find. It's this again, weird tension between their friends. Like they clearly care about each other, but Ritsuko is dedicated to the mission. Like, uh, this is the scientist part of her brain, uh, as opposed to the the human part of her brain. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't mean that as a pejorative, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, then Ritsuko just kind of like excuses herself, like, "Oh, I got to get home, Baba." You know, clearly, like, all right, this is I have to at least give them the space here. And they're walking. Uh, well, Akaji is carrying uh, Misato back after she drank so much she puked in an alley. She's he's carrying her piggyback uh, for a little while back home along this like road uh, abandoned road. Uh, she eventually gets down and walks. And then she has this moment 
of just pure vulnerability in front of Kaji. And it's, I, I mean, to some degree, she's a little bit uninhibited from the, from the alcohol and stuff like that. She's, uh, uh, she's definitely feeling things a little bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. And she tells Kaji that like, you know, I, I remember when I told you in college that I was leaving you cause I met someone else. There was no one else. Uh, I left you because I, I was afraid you were too much like my father mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and she was afraid that she was falling for him and she was scared of that. And she is just beating herself up about it. Like I use people. I, I, she's very, she's absolutely like, I don't know the right word to say, but like, there's a lot of self-loathing she, right now for, she realizes that her motivations were not what she thought they were. Yeah. And that self-discovery is really hard for her. And to be fair, she's been drinking and mm. emotions run high when you've had too much to drink. So, Yeah. I mean, she's also telling Kaji because she's apologizing in a way. Yeah. Like, she's like, he needs to know this. Maybe he does. I don't, I don't know. But like, he's, he's very kind of terse with this. And he's like, you know, he's kind of accepting it. And I think he already kind of knew. But she she has to for herself. She has to basically come out to this guy and say, "I fucked up. It was my fault, and I am I am so sorry for this." And Kaji, uh, basically, he recognizes what she's doing. He's and he's like, just basically stop talking. Like, uh, I forget what he says precisely. Uh, it's not shut up, but it's like, uh, drop it, drop it. Yes, drop it, it. is how it's translated. Yeah. Uh, and then she doesn't drop it. She keeps going. And then Kaji shuts her up. Uh, he grabs her and kisses her. There's then there's that shot of like, I mean, it's a long shot holding on the kiss. And then it's like a shot of uh, uh, Misato carrying her shoes. Mm-hmm. And she's fir- she first like pulls a little closer. Like she's resisting and then lets it drop. Like she's dropping her inhibitions and or letting go of whatever burden she had and like giving into it. Right. I loved that scene. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know about you, but like, that is one of the rawest things and the most true to life things I've seen in this show. Yeah, it was wonderful, and I mean, partly just because I I've been waiting for that moment that they'll finally mm. stop skirting the issue and just go ahead and kiss already. Clearly you still like each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as I said earlier, I'm a sucker for a good love story. And, you know, even though this probably won't end well for mm-hmm. anybody in the show, um, that moment of some people having some nice time. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, that vulnerability between them, both of them, this is the first time that either one of them has really let down their guard in front mm-hmm. of the other one that we've seen. And it's a nice change of pace. And it definitely endears me to both of them more. Yeah. I mean, like, I wish I wish we had gotten a little bit more from Kaji in that because he's. But then again, he doesn't seem like a very talkative type. Uh, I thought that his silence actually said, I mean, up until this point, he has been extremely talkative and boisterous. And arrogant so for him to be silent 
and letting her speak and not responding to her with sarcasm or joking, but taking her seriously spoke a lot to his true nature when he's not playing things up. Mm. You know, that Kaji is able to listen and give her that space to process. Yeah. Um, And he's not hiding. He's, he's there for her. Yeah. And there's no, you know, when she admits there was no one else, he just accepts it. He says, no, I didn't know that. There's no real tone of hurt in his voice that she lied. There's not also not a tone of relief. It's just a, he just says, no, I didn't Mm. know that. And it's this very serious, heartfelt moment between them. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. And yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about that. (laughs) Well, then it's juxtaposed against the other kiss. (laughs) Yeah. So this is the other one that you may have seen coming. I don't know. Uh, Shinji and Asuka. And it's literally, we go from that scene of them of uh, Misato and Kaji kissing on the side of a road to Asuka looking very bored or head down on a table. And she just turns to Shinji and goes, do you want to try kissing? <laughs> and she just is like, he takes out his, his, his headphones. He's like, what did you just say? <laughs> and it is the most, it is just so different in tone. It's like, this is a little bit, Playful, experimental. It's two kids. It, the, Asuka's coming from a different place on this than absolutely uh, than Masato is. I, I mean, to some degree, there's you know there's this sense of loneliness and and whatnot in both. But Asuka has like up to this point, she was on a date earlier, and it kind of went badly, and she's like, uh, the guy was boring. She had been, uh, I think she had reached out to Kaji to see if she's if he was still around because she kind of had a yeah. uh, quote unquote a crush on him. Reached out by. Her. Yeah. <laughs> help, she, I'm being kidnapped. Um. <laughs> I think it was more help, I'm being assaulted by a pervert. Yes, yes, that's correct. <laughs> Got it. Uh, mm, I still don't like Asuka. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the kiss is very comedic. Like, I mean, it's very, like, funny. Like, it, it's played up for laughs a lot. Like, Pen Pen's reaction is probably the best. Pen oh, pen um, moment we've had it's, so far. it's so good. Pen Pen walks in, he looks up, he's like, whatever. I'm just going <laughs> to keep go- going. And he, he goes right to his little penguin hidey hole. And he's like, all right, done. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and like she's, she's pinching his nose so he can't breathe. And like, you know, he's like kind of struggling with that and all that kind of stuff. I was trying to read into why Asuka would do this. And I was trying to think of why she would do this. And I think, you know, part of it is like, she feels a little bit isolated and alone. I think somewhere for all the, the criticism and the yelling at Shinji, she does care for him. Maybe Mm -hmm. not romantically, but I think she does care for him. There's parts of Asuka's in this personality coming through in this. It's like, I'm going to, you know, uh, bestow a gift on you or something like that. (laughs) Although she's still, even when he's like, she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, what do you, you just don't want to kiss on the anniversary of your mother's death? And I'm like, fucking, what are you doing, Asuka? Like, and yeah, like, but she is for a very split second, like, 
she wants it. Like when she leans in for the kiss, Shinji is cringing. He's closing his eyes. He's scared. Asuka is just unmoving eyes wide open, directly looking at Shinji's eyes. Like, like she, this is something she wants to do. And then as soon as it's done, she falls right back to old Asuka, like goes gargles mouthwash in the, in the bathroom and like, Oh God, why did I do that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I want, I guess I want to see it as like Asuka seeing something, but like maybe it was just Asuka being a jerk. Maybe she actually was bored. I don't know. I think combination. I read it as a combination of being bored and still kind of reeling from the fact that Kaji is her ideal man. Kaji yeah. has is no longer there for her. Is never yeah. answering her phone. So, eh, what am I going to do? I think mostly it was just she's a teenager. She's bored. Yeah. Hormones run hot at that age. There's hormones. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't read too much into it, other than to serve as a contrast to Misato and Kaji, and then yeah. to throw some more tension in there for Asuka. I mean, yeah, like Asuka is like the case between Misato and Kaji is real. Like, there's real emotions in that. Mm-hmm. In a hmm, in a first kiss, there's a lot of emotions that happen, in my experience at least. You know, like, you can't really separate them all out. It's messy. It's mm-hmm. like... And that's what I think that Asuka's was with Shinji. Mm-hmm. With with Misato and, and uh, Kaji, like, there's a definite, like, recognition that they still care about each other mm-hmm. uh, in that kiss. Whereas with Asuka and Shinji, it's very, very muddled because... It's just muddled all around at that point. Yeah. And well, it's not a kiss driven by emotion in terms of they're doing it as something to try out, not because they actually care about kissing each other. Yeah. And Shinji even is doing it because he's been dared to. Yeah, basically. He's probably a little bit curious. You know, it's never anything that as far as we have seen that he would have thought of doing before one thing that i really liked about shinji's reaction to that thing is like so even when he's uh when they're in the middle of the kiss like you see his hand clenching and unclenching (laughs) and turning colors and stuff like that and i'm like even when he's kissing someone he still wants to cause pain to himself like he's i'm like like he still can't feel that whatever it is he wants to feel he has to feel pain he has to like oh i just saw that as him not being able to breathe well you could breathe through your mouth like i mean while you're kissing well it depends how you're kissing i guess (laughs) while you're a 14 year old who's never kissed before that okay valid point valid point (laughs) maybe okay maybe i read a little into that um (laughs) there was a like after the the kiss broke off like she like backs up like oh what was that and you don't see oscar's face i would have paid so much money to figure out what the hell was on her face like I, I wanted to know what she thought because we don't see her, uh, her face again until mm-hmm. uh, Kaji comes in the door with Masato, mm-hmm. and she's like Kaji, like you know, like you know, she's got something else to focus on. The kisses, who, who, let's forget about that shit. And like, I really wanted to know what she thought of that. Maybe we'll find out. I mean, there's some hints about it, but but who knows? Who knows indeed? I think that was it for this episode, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some other little things in here, but like, I think I think the big stuff is. Uh, uh, more or less covered. I I will say, just to 
throw a little bit of cold water on the discussion we just had. I really wonder how Kaji got that access card to see Adam. Oh, yeah. It happens the day after he was with Misato. And I'm like, did he take that from her? Is this all kind of just part of his plan? I don't think it was, because I think if Misato had access to that thing, she would know it was in there. But Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think that's just more. Uh, maybe that's me connecting dots that aren't quite there. But, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm just suspicious of Kaji. <laughs> that's fair. So going on to episode 16, the sickness unto death and then dot, dot, and dot. slash splitting the breast. This is a weird one. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's a, it's an angel attack. We finally get another angel after two episodes without an angel. So really, like a lot, the majority of this episode is like, yeah, there's plenty of stuff going on on the outside, but uh, the main thrust of it is that Shinji gets sucked down into an alternate dimension or something by an angel, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's not clear really, and he's alone, and he hallucinates or he has like a a, a, a moment of talking, communing with something. Uh, be it God or or some other part of his his head, um, and he basically has a conversation with himself about his own psychological stuff. So, I mean, before we get into that aspect of things, the one thing that really struck me about this episode is that Shinji, after he gets sucked in, everyone, and I mean everyone, is fucking just, oh my god, we gotta save Shinji! Like they really show that they care about Shinji a lot. I mean, and, you know, Misato, because, you know, Misato, uh, she cares for Shinji regardless. Uh, at one point, she's talking with, with Ritsuko, and Ritsuko's like, you know, like, uh, I think Ritsuko says something to the effect of, like, the pilot's expendable. Mm-hmm. But later on, Ritsuko will, like, let's move up the timeline by 12 minutes. This way we have a chance of, of saving the pilot. So she, she cares about Shinji in some sense. Yeah, although uh, what was interesting... I think she does, but I think also she, Misato kind of spurred like her conscience. Um, in, oh, sure. You know, slapping somebody and accusing them of not caring tends to have that effect. Oh, oh, totally. Like Misato definitely was like the proximate cause for that. And Ritsuko may be doing it for Misato, not necessarily for Shinji, but she still does it. Right. Like she's still, uh, you know, she could very easily have just said, screw this. Right. Uh, focus on the mission. Sure. But the other thing, and this is there's this moment where after Shinji gets sucked in, uh, Asuka is on like a they're in like a little like forward base something, and she's just Asuka's just going off like, you know, oh that jerk, he he went in ahead, blah 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 blah. And Ray turns and just stares down Asuka face to face, like six mm-hmm. inches from her face angry like one of the few times we've seen visible emotion on ray's face and she is furious yeah. uh she clearly cares for shinji and she is angry at asuka and you have this great little like back and forth of ray with the blue hair and red eyes and asuka mm-hmm. with the red hair and blue eyes both cast in shadow and they're just staring at each other complete opposites but they both are afraid for shinji in their own ways and it was just this powerful moment of Ray stepping up mm-hmm. and Ray, like to be fair, she's like, she's doesn't formulate a plan. She says, she says to Oscar, like, why do you, like, why do you pilot the Evangelion just to look good or something along those lines? And 
the I mean the 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 whole thrust of it is that like for the conversation that Shinji has and for the way he's felt in these episodes up to this point, he really feels that he's isolated and alone, and he's not like he has friends, he has people who care about him, even people you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. And I I again, it's just more specific to Shinji's character. He can't feel it, like he 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 rejects that. Uh, basically subconsciously and says like, you know, I don't want to hurt other people or blah, 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 blah. The, he has an opportunity. Again, I'm just like, God damn it, Shinji. You have an opportunity here. You have friends. You have people who care about you very deeply. And yet you can't see that and you can't feel that. Like, <laughs> Sorry. I get very passionate when I'm talking about Shinji's, uh, I, I like this kid. I, I see a lot of myself <laughs> in this kid. So, why don't we try something a little bit lighter? I think before <laughs> we go back into the, the that stuff. Uh, well, I don't know if there's a whole lot lighter to be talked about in this episode. It's pretty dark, to be it's, fair. It's a very dark episode. Um, so this angel is the first, maybe the first angel that we've seen that has a pattern, quote unquote, that's not blue. You know, yes. whenever they are detecting angel activity on their radar or whatever, when they're scanning it with their technology, it says that it's pattern blue, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and this angel appears to be a pattern orange. It's an angel type that they've never seen before. Turns out that the actual angel, the one that appears as pattern blue, is the shadow that appears mm. on the streets of Tokyo 3. And the angel what appears to be the angel is actually its shadow mm. um, is just an illusion um, and disappears whenever they try to shoot it. Yep. So that got me thinking about the idea of reality versus illusion or reality mm. versus shadow and how in these three episodes and this episode in particular, we're starting to see a lot of illusions being shattered a lot of people starting to see truth or glimpses of truth for the first time. You know, Misato has seen her first glimpse of the seedy underbelly of nerve and that yeah. things are not all they seem. Asuka gets her first glimpse of the true nature of the Eva units um, mm. as she sees Shinji's Eva bursting forth from what was supposedly the angel's shadow. Yeah. Very confusing about how that's where he's emerging from, but he bursts it open like a womb, gushing mm. blood uh, from the Huge inside. Huge birth imagery. <laughs> Asuka is horrified as she sees this bestial creature. She says, I've been piloting one of those. This is what they, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that Shinji and... Ray have both had kind of moments where they are looking at themselves face to face. You know, they've had their introspective moments. Mm. <clears throat> Misato's seen Kaji for what he mm. is, um, yeah. that he's not all he appeared to be. So all that is kind of culminating and at least starting to appear in this episode with this angel. Mm. Uh, so I just thought that was really interesting parallels. I, this is the descent arc. Like this is like what, this is where the shine starts coming off. Like where we start seeing some of that seedy underbelly of damn near everything. 
Um, when you when you uh, started talking about this, I, I kind of got the uh, the idea of yes, the shadows being pulled back, but almost in a way that's like a loss of innocence, mm-hmm. like leaving childhood uh, in a way. Um, because like you know, for most of these episodes, like they've been kind of fun. Like you know, there've been some interesting things, a little excitement. And now it's like we're getting into the more serious stuff and like real psychological pain. The veneer of Evangelion has kind of been scraped off, like the mm-hmm. show itself, really. It's going to be it's going to be like this for a while now. And also you juxtapose that against like Shinji's coming of age. Like you now he's 14 years old. He's not a man yet, um, but he's he, he's forced to grow up very quickly. He's had his uh, first kiss. Yeah, true he did just have his first kiss uh poor kid um <laughs> but yeah like he's he's beginning to do that and like actually in the beginning of this episode before um before he gets sucked down like he's reading back to headquarters like i'll, I'll go take care of this thing it's a man's job after all isn't it oh um, that whole thing yeah so, that's yeah i thought that was really interesting because i never got the feeling that he meant any of it like even so when yeah. he's when uh, Misato says that his test results were the best, that he's number one. And he goes, he gets this but wide-eyed, exuberant look on his face, the most happy we've ever seen him. That mm. didn't seem, like, that's not his usual response to being praised. It seemed very out of place for him. And then later on the train or the bus or whatever, he's going, yes! It's almost like he's practicing mm. that. And then it's like he is trying to act like everyone expects him to. Yeah. I, and not just everyone, but like, I think Asuka to a large degree, like she's been telling him to be a man, be a man, be a man. And now he feels like he is. The previous three episodes, we saw him finally taking charge several times. You know, Asuka gives him his moment in the spotlight, defeating the spider angel. And then he is the one as they're fighting the angel that comes from orbit. Um, He's the one that charges in first. He's the one that gets there first. He actually says mission start and run. Like he's actually showing Mm. a moment of strength there. And so now we see him overdoing it almost. Yeah. Pride in a sense, Mm -hmm. like, like not, not like just pride in your accomplishments, but like that, that biblical pridefulness. Uh, deadly pridefulness. Yeah. Deadly sin level stuff. Um, and Again, that hyper masculinity that you've been talking about that fighting mm. is a man's job. Well, clearly that's not the case because yeah. the other two Eva pilots are girls. And everybody trying to rescue him or women. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 there's a, a through line with that as well, where like that that kind of leads credence to the idea that it is still a facade like when he's on the bus and he's like staring at his hand he's like he's clenching his hands like yeah i did it like two kids in the front of the bus just kind of turn around and laugh at him <laughs> and shinji you immediately see the guard go back up yeah like like for as much as he says he's a man he's he's still very sensitive yeah, yeah. well he's 14 <laughs> no totally <laughs> this is the veneer he's built up and like it's not it, it's another I mean, it's Asuka's defense, really. Yeah. Like, Asuka has this tough demeanor, and Shinji has kind of adopted it. And then, again, it's an illusion. He, he, hasn't, be, he hasn't become a better version of himself. He's become, a, he's become himself with Asuka's shielding, if that makes any kind yeah, of sense. Yeah, at least in this episode. That actually kind of, 
feeds into like what is like the main, I guess the a plot, I guess of what's uh, going on in this episode, which is the, um, after he's sucked down into the hole, he has this, I don't even know how to describe this thing. The Dirac C is what it's called. Oh, well, well, oh yeah. That's the, the, uh, I actually did look that up. It is a thing, but it's quantum physics and I didn't understand a a single word of what I was reading. So something. It's, I mean, it's a, it, I'm, I'm, t- I'm treating it almost as like Star Trek techno babble. Like, okay, yeah, it's that, whatever. Yeah. But he's, he has this moment where he's like, he's in the Evangelion and the life support is draining away. And he has a conversation with himself, almost like a psychotic break in a weird kind of way. Um, but he's talking to different aspects of his personality, or at least one uh, different aspect of his personality. You can ascribe a lot of like, this could be something mystical. This could be a conversation with uh, yourself or God or something like that. Or it could just be a hallucination brought on by uh, lack of oxygen or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't say that to just like the insight you get, whether or not it is quote unquote real is still valid. I think. Right. Absolutely. This conversation kind of, it, I mean, you could, again, almost like Ray's poem, like you could dissect every single line of this thing. And again, not going to do that. He really confronts the idea. Well, this other thing is like, kind. this other part inside him is kind of speaking truth. Like Shinji is talking like, he's saying things that we know about him that like he's afraid of hurting others mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. And his other voice is just cutting through all of that and saying, no, this is why you do what you do. I don't I don't necessarily think that's like the the you know word of god truth but I think it is a very very good wake up call to Shinji. Like well the thing that struck him the most I guess I should say is he basically says that like you know there is a part of you that is you know you are afraid and you're afraid of hurting others. You say that but that's not actually true. You're just afraid of being hurt by what others do to you. Mm. Like, you don't necessarily care about them. You care about them hurting you. Mm -hmm. As someone, like, I've struggled with depression my entire life, and that rang very true to me. It is an excuse to not uh, socialize. It is an excuse to not be personable. And it's like, you know, oh, you know, uh, know, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to infringe on their space. I don't want to, you know, do that kind of thing. And this other voice would come and say, no, you're just protecting yourself. Like, you know, you're not doing it for their sake. Don't don't lie to yourself about this. Don't delude yourself about this. Uh, you're just afraid of being hurt. And then the next sentence is like, well, whose fault is that? And Shinji's like, well, it's my fault because I'm deficient. And then the voice is like, no, it's your fucking dad's fault. Mm. Like, he caused you trauma. Like, and you haven't faced that. You still hold on to wanting praise from him from the person who hurt you and continues to hurt you mm-hmm. because you think if like you can get him to like you, you'll be better that a, that's not happening. And B like that won't make you feel better. Right. Like you have to understand what happened and move forward with mm-hmm. it. It's this very stark, like psychological moment of clarity that Shinji has the shit I've been yelling at the TV screen for like the past couple episodes, <laughs> like it's finally got a voice in the, in the episode and I'm just very happy to see it. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you think of that whole like descent or ascent into Shinji's mind? It reminded me a lot of the scene two episodes ago that we see with 
Ray having, mm. and she's not having conversation with another aspect of her personality the same way that Shinji is, but she's having the same sort of identity questions, at least. You know, his are centered around who his motivations for doing things, whereas mm. hers are more just who am I, what is my purpose? So they're different. Mm having different conversations with themselves, but there's still this thread of identity. Who am I? And mm. how does everything link together that they're both mm. having? And they're both, both of these things happen while they are in, actually, interestingly enough, they're both inside Shinji's. Have a one. Have a one unit who. Yeah is apparently the key to everything. He is the highest, pri Gendo's highest priority. He, I say, it. It is Gendo's mm -hmm. highest priority. He said, you know, when they launch the Evas without pilots, he says, that one is the priority. The, the other ones can be sacrificed at its, at its expense. Mm. Whether there's a connection there, I'm not sure. But there is a connection, I believe, to the fact that these deeply introspective things are happening while they are in a womb-like state inside the Eva. Yeah. You know, whether that's a message about who knows what, you know, the writers were going for exactly, but. Oh, I, th I think, I think explicitly, I mean, Shinji is not only in a womb, he's in a womb inside a womb. Yeah. Like when he bursts out, like, as we mentioned before, that is birth imagery. Like he is straight up, like the, the Evangelion is being born mm -hmm. at that point. And Shinji with him. And Shinji reborn, in a sense. Now yeah. that he's had all well, this well, we insight. Yeah, we, we hope. <laughs> we don't know yet. Uh, other than yeah. a shot of him in bed being really, really sick of looking at that ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and noticing that his hand smells like blood. And yes, that he um, still smells like blood. And again, it is one of those things that I look at this, this moment and I'm like, you know, it is a chance for Shinji. Mm -hmm. Like, he's facing it. And, like, uh, just carrying that metaphor, like, a birth is a chance like, when you give birth, you don't know what a, the child's going to be. Like, you don't know necessarily, like, um, you have a kid, you know, at, at least, you know, the babies I've known. They're just kind of, they eat and poop. They don't really have much personality. You don't know what they're going to be like. Right. And it is, like, what happens after that forms them to a large degree. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the nature versus nurture debate here. There is a part of that. And, like, again, Shinji has been giving that, given that chance again. Um whether he makes the most out of it, who can say? The thing that really gets to me about this is like he's have he has guidance. He has like even in his own brain, like if, if it's in his own brain, he has the capacity to understand this. Because at least part of him understands this. It's just about making that top of mind. All right. I think it's I'm not gonna talk anymore <laughs> about Shinji because I'm gonna go kind of nuts here. I think it's easy to say that looking from the outside in. Oh, totally, totally. Uh, I think it's much harder to be able to actually internalize and act on that when you are 14, when you are filled with hormones, when you're surrounded by a lot of aggression coming from you know, angels and Asuka and Gendo. I think that this is probably the one place that he's been able to think clearly is at least subconsciously, he's not actively thinking 
Um, he mm. can process these things while he is in a peaceful, as peaceful as it can be while he's near death. And, and he's place. literally in another dimension. Like, and he's, he's literally in another dimension. Yeah, he's away from all that by definition. And can't escape. Yeah. Um, so whether or not it carries over to waking life filled with the reality of... And it's not like he has... He's not going to have a lot of time to process these things going forward. Because things are going to get real, real fast. Yeah, very much so. You can't process anything when you're constantly in motion. Yeah, I, I, I do want to say, like, you know, for as much as I, I yell at Shinji, like, God damn it. Like, I understand that aspect. Like, it is very hard to actually... There's a difference between knowing something and then being something. Like, and again, using the depression metaphor, like, the number of times when I would tell people that, you know, I had been diagnosed with depression, and they would say something along the lines of, well, like, you should just be happy. <laughs> have and you I'm tried like, just being happy? Have you tried being... And I'm like, <laughs> oh, you've cured me. Like, I, like... <laughs> Like, I mean, if it were that easy, I'd do it. And yeah, like, like uh, oh, you know what? I didn't think of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so me yelling at Shinji is like, you know, I understand that. Like, I'm not, I'm like, I understand he can't at the moment, but right. he has every opportunity to do that. And, and part of the reason I guess I feel for him so much is because like, I probably had those opportunities as well and didn't take advantage of them until much later in my life. Yeah. I think that expecting a 14 year old to really be able to pull himself together is asking a bit much. And I definitely can empathize with where Shinji's at a lot more now that I've had an extra 18 years to live and think and grow and learn from my own experiences and look Mm. back on them. Um, Because, I mean, the first time we saw this, we were, what, you were 18. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, I was probably 19 or 20. Mm. Uh our brains were not fully formed yet. Two decades later, like uh, with a lot of experience, like in both of our lives. Yeah. I, I look back at, you know, I, you remember what it was like in college where it's like, you come in like, yeah, I'm in college. I'm an adult, blah, blah, blah. And I look back <laughs> on, you know, with 20 years of hindsight, I'm like, Oh God, that kid was so naive. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's not, that could be an entire podcast all by itself. Yeah, I'm not going to get dissect into that our four years of college. I will. I will just go down the rabbit hole of complaining. Like no one listens to my music anymore, um, <laughs> and those uh, kids won't get off my lawn. Totally, I understand that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a good way to end that. Unless there's, uh, well, there's one other thing I wanted to mention just with regard to this, and it kind of feeds in uh, sure. the name. Of this episode, the sickness unto death, and then and then uh, the spitting splitting of the breast. Mm. So the sickness unto death is a work by Kierkegaard. Okay, uh, that is an ex- existentialist uh, book. I don't, I haven't read it, so I can't really speak too much to it. But splitting the breast is a actual psychological term, and, oh. it's, and it is known. Uh, well, it's it's archaic, but it's referred to as black and white thinking nowadays. Hmm. Like where you either like everything is good or everything is evil, uh, or you separate them very, very distinctly. This is, I mean, Shinji, like you know, has that kind of black and white thinking about himself to a large degree. Uh, it's not quite like good and evil dichotomy, but it is a pain and happiness dichotomy, mm-hmm. uh, and he has to really overcome that to understand where he's coming from. 
Now, which of those is the new title that Netflix assigned? Oh, I think the new one is split, uh, Splitting the Breast. Okay. Yeah, the Sickness on Duty, I think, I think is the original, the Japanese title. Because I think I, in one of the, the interviews I read a long time ago with uh, Hidesaki Anno, the writer of Evangelion, uh, he he specifically cited Kierkegaard uh, as like one of his main influences here, an existentialist writing in general. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But yeah, I'm not going to read. I can't read that level of philosophy again. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I have tried. Yeah. To read some of the stuff that we would have read back in the day, and it is hard. I like. I don't know if I've gotten dumber or. <laughs> My, I just have less patience or what, but I'm yeah, it's not I, working. I, I can't do it either. Like I, I have a book. I bought a copy of uh, some, I bought some Kafka, like just because I'm like, all right, I want to, I want to try to understand this. And I got maybe five pages in and I'm like, I can't. <laughs> oh, I like Kafka. I, I mean, I might like him too, but I just can't follow it. Like it, it's so dense, especially um, this isn't Kafka in particular, but like the old German philosophers, and being mm-hmm. German, they describe everything. So it's a bit beyond me, which is why I stick to Evangelion, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, anything else in this episode? Uh, for- I don't have anything else. All right. So um, so what did you think of these episodes? There's a lot here. Uh, but uh, did you find them effective? Uh, did you have a favorite moment at any of this? or? <sighs> Uh, well, they were definitely powerful episodes, but I had a lot less that I wrote about them, the mm. notes that I was taking, I had much fewer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for all that there was a lot of interesting psychological existentialism going on, my favorite moment was still just the absolutely ordinary moment of a boy and a girl walking home from their friend's wedding mm. and making up kind of, I guess. Yeah. Very human yeah. moment. Very human moment. Uh, the peacefulness of night when the cicadas mm. aren't buzzing like crazy, as Ken Sakai points out early on in the show. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's normal. It's peaceful, in a sense. It's not It's not quite so peaceful for Masato. Uh, she's having a bit of uh, anguish mm. as she comes to terms with her motivations for doing things, but... It's nowhere near the level of tension that comes from an angel trying to destroy your planet. Yeah. And, and there's a more, uh, there's an immediate catharsis to that moment as well. The kiss is a very big, like, uh, like, you know, like she's, she's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's my favorite that yeah. I had to think really long and hard about what my favorite moment is in these, because there were a lot of good moments. Yeah. Like, like these episodes are almost just a string of good moments. Uh, I mean, there are, you know, certainly plots and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, like, I mean, for me, it's like, I, I mean, I already gushed about Ray's poem. Um, uh, so I'm not going to really go too much into that, but like, <laughs> uh, but the Shinji's discussion with himself is also a very big high point for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just like those things that are just laden with meaning and mm-hmm. every line like I would back up and rewatch like certain lines just to catch the intonation just to catch the the imagery on screen a little bit clearer mm-hmm. um just to understand what was going on like in like all the subtext like I could write a freaking thesis on Ray's poem I feel at this point 
but the fact that Evangelion uh, is is getting into these things and allowing me to make those connections and make and like think about that stuff in a way that I haven't done in a very long time and that it allows it is is fantastic to me. So I find it very interesting that you in the previous episodes were talking about how you would love to just see more interpersonal relationships and more time mm-hmm. with the characters. And yet your favorite moment are the ones that are the introspective, philosophical, metaphysical, weird crap. And mm. I've been kind of the opposite where, you know, I like the interpersonal relationships a lot and I've been enjoying that. But what I'm looking forward to is seeing more of the plot points get mm. unveiled. And yet my favorite moments are still <laughs> those moments of human connection. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the moments of human connection are still great. Like, don't get me wrong. I just really like examining people. Uh, mm-hmm. That sounds real creepy. Um, <laughs> I, I like I like looking at these characters, and I yeah. like I like deconstructing them. Like to like, what are their motivations? And like this, the psychological level is a level even beyond like. Uh, you know, the collisions of the different characters into each other. It's actually getting into the nature of who they are. And mm-hmm. um, like, it's fascinating, like the depths that you can go to. Like there, everyone has an interior life and interiority that's just unique. And I think the show really brings that out and, and in a very poetic and very enthralling uh, kind of way. What are you hoping to see more in these next three episodes, Mike? I have no goddamn idea. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like, I, this show is surprising me now again, and uh, and and surprising me in unique ways. Even though, like, obviously we've seen it before, but like, I didn't. I barely remembered Ray's poem when I first watched it, and when I watched it now, I was just locked to the screen, and I'm like, give me, give me some surprising little twist in how they approach things, and. I, I will eat it up. Um, mm-hmm. I at this point, I just kind of want to lean back and like, just tell me, tell me the story that you want to tell because I have you have all of my attention. What about you? <laughs> Mostly at this point, I'm scared because That's I fair. can see uh, the cracks starting to form. Not that things were peaceful and ordinary to begin with, but mm. um, as I've said, I don't expect any of it to end well. I know that it's not going to end well. Yeah. And um, I'm not looking forward to that. While I'm looking forward to finding out how it all pans out, I I am I want these characters to to have happy lives, and I Me don't. Too. And I know that's probably not going to happen. Uh, and so I'm afraid to start seeing it all fall to pieces and see their hopes for happy endings shattered. Oh, so yeah, no. <laughs> part of me wants to just stop right now while yeah. things are good. Yeah, I, I am a hundred percent with you. <laughs> but like as as Shinji Shadow said, is like you can't just have you can't just have the happy memories. It's, it's everything. I know it sucks. Uh all right. So yeah, Evangelion, you're you're doing some some shit to us here. But uh, I think that's that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We covered a lot uh, in this episode. Uh, next week, we're in going through episode 17 through 19, which is the end of the Descent arc. Uh, it's going to uh, 
hopefully get a little bit more intense and then set the stage for the final act. Uh, you can email the podcast at evangelagain at gmail.com and you can find us on Twitter at evangelagain. Uh, April Lynn, where can people find you? I am A-L Cowett, C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E on both Twitter and Instagram. I am definitely more on Instagram. Uh, sometimes I remember to post to Twitter. And That's what fair. about you, Mike? Uh, I am only on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Galenblade, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-A-D-E. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, if you'd like to help out, uh, you can leave us a review on your podcast uh, service of choice. It really does help people discover the show. Uh, our next episode is going to be on Wednesday, August 7th. And we will be covering those uh, further descent into madness of, of Evangel- uh, Evangelion. Evangelion. <laughs> uh, but until then, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.